He's got the Georgia thing on. Ready? Hello, everyone, to the Real European Football Talk. I'm Sebastian Fender, the head coach of the Ravensburg Razorbacks. With me always is Coach Meller, our offense coordinator. He will induce himself also a little in a little bit. And yeah, what we're trying to do, what we try to do is get every day um, other coaches, players, people from football, from other sports around. First of all, of course, how you handle the corona stuff with being at home, getting ready for the season. And of course, how you come over to Europe, how everything starts to be involved with European football and all the topics you can talk on a broadcast, NFL, college football. Um, yeah, we don't want to call anybody out. We want to be nice and fairly to everyone so everyone can enjoy us. And uh, yeah, uh, I passed over quick to Coach Schmeller to introduce himself. And then we have our first guest today, the head football coach of the Munich Cowboys, um, Coach Holly. But first of all, we go to Coach Schmeller. Yeah, so I'm the, I'm the current Robinsburg offensive coordinator. Um, thought process about this was more about, you know, what can we do also in terms of this corona situation to keep everybody kind of like connected in terms of football-wise. And also at the end of the day, it's, you know, I mean, with this whole situation where essentially every country has essentially a lockdown going on, quarantine, you can't do much. So it's also to kind of, you know, have some fun with it, keep people not from going crazy. Because to be honest, I'm going to say from our side of it, it's been a little bit hectic and we do not like being stuck indoors, even though we haven't broken any laws so far, putting that out there for a president and our board. Um, but, you know, you kind of kind of have to get out in this situation. You kind of have to get distracted. Um, but like kind of Coach Fander just said, the, the goal of this podcast is not only football. It could come down to having also, you know, people that have nothing to do with, with American football out here in Europe or in the States. It come down to, you know, I mean, to be honest, we could talk to – a freaking scientist we wanted to and just kind of break it down and see how their whole process is. But what's kind of like us seeing how this goes and branching out to different aspects. Um, and now getting down to it, our first guest, Mr. Big Time, Coach Garen Holly from the Munich Cowboys. Um, how's it going? Going great, man. Thanks for having me on. No, it's a, it's a pleasure to have you. Um, kind of thinking about it, it was like, who else can we start off with a bang? Of course, you. Since, I mean, you do hold the a name out here in Europe. You also have a, a wide um, experience coaching, not only out here, but also back in the States. So you kind of know what it's like to have that transition. Um, we kind of know a little bit more about you since there's a, some, there's probably some people out there who don't know much about you. So if you have like kind of like a short introduction of how it came to be that you're coaching out here in Europe, also in the States, what's your experience there? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm the head coach and the defensive coordinator of the Munich Cowboys uh, GFL program. Um, I came out here originally in 2013 as defensive coordinator um, under James Craig, uh, who at the time was uh, coming from Kalanda. Uh, he had been in Munich in 2012 for his first season. And in 2000 and 2009 or 2010, I GA'd for him at Purdue State College um, in AI school in Nebraska. A few years later, um, he calls me up and invites me out to Munich to be a DC. You know, I'm a 25-year-old kid. It's like, be a DC, like what? You know, I was a shitty GA at Minot State. <laughs> you know, I was thinking I'm more working my way up the ladder and grind it out, but uh, I got a great opportunity. Uh, so I spent two years uh, here as DC and we made playoffs both those seasons. Uh, then decided to go back to the US, 
you know, work my way up the ladder. Fall of 2014, landed at Peru State College. Um, I'm sorry, Presentation College um, in Aberdeen, South Dakota. Um, NAIA program there. Uh, had three three good seasons there with those guys, and left in pretty good standing as the defensive back coach and academic coordinator. Um, and essentially, uh, coached in Finland in 2015. That's where I met my girlfriend, which is essentially a big reason why I took the head coaching job in Munich. Uh, to come back in 2017, and this is going on year four. Uh, we've been uh, on the rebuilding process and have had uh, one good season out of three so far. We've made the playoffs after the in, in the second season in 2018. Uh, dealt with injuries like everybody does, but couldn't recover from it last year. Uh, ended up staying in the league. Um, so uh, we're built strong right now, and we've had a really great offseason. So uh, kind of where we're at, a little bit about me. How was that transition? I mean, since you kind of said you came over here and you were never really a coordinator, you came straight from being a GA. How was it like that first year? Was it like an oh shit moment or what? No, for me, I, I've always been just a student of the game. I mean, I, I've been it's the only true team sport I've ever like played in my life. I've done everything, but I never like played an actual competitive scenario um, outside of football. Um, you know, track is an individual sport at the end of the day, you know. I, so football is who I am, it's what I do. Um, so for me, the transition wasn't it wasn't hard. It was actually, like, really cool because I, I don't want to disrespect the people I work for, but the job that I had before I came to Munich the first time, I learned a lot of the things that I didn't want to do as a coach. So for me, I kind of – I watched a lot of mistakes being made. So it's kind of like, okay the things that you have to avoid or these are the things that right now you need to learn more about so you don't make the same mistakes um, and then James Craig was such a great mentor to me um, that he pretty much gave me almost a 25 year old kid never been a coordinator I did all my research I had structure I had a plan and he let me do my thing he didn't stub my toes he didn't try to curl um, any ideas or any of the philosophy he let me run with it and he supported me and I think that was a big reason that you know, we were able to be successful there was no conflict between head coach and coordinator. So for me, I was lucky. Uh, I just was under the right type of guy. Right, right. I mean, and at least like being out here in Europe, it kind of gave you that that opportunity to – because, I mean, to be honest, in the States, that's that's very difficult to do. For the most part, a lot of people, people they, they, they don't give you the reins. Like, they're, they're going to be like, oh, yeah, like, you're the coordinator, but I need you to do this, this, and this. So that gave you a great opportunity to kind of grow and just – I mean, we know this, like, with coaching, it's what – you're going to make mistakes. You're going to learn from – you know, that's how you do certain things, especially going out those first few years. I mean, you're, of course, going to have coaches that you've seen before where you're like, I probably won't do things like that, you know, and then you'll make your own mistakes because we're not perfect. Um, what would you notice is the biggest difference for you coaching in the States, not only being, of course, first-time coordinator, being at Presentation College, and then being out here. What do you notice, like, are the big things that are the big differences that you notice kind of like maybe sometimes facing adversity coaching out here? It's, it's always just the structure of everything. You know, everyone tells you that they want to do things professionally, and then you try to create that atmosphere. And you know, the people that aren't aren't the paid professional or and or you know view it the same, they're affecting how successful you can be in your professional structure. Um, so, in building your culture and professionalism, you're you're working with so many people who are amateurs within it. So they think they know what they're doing, but they don't. So then you're having to get people to overcome their own ego. You're having to quell your own ego to find a way to work in the middle. Um, 
So structure is my always been my biggest issue, uh, frustration. Um, and then at the end of the day, just the, the lack of preparation time with the team. You can prepare it yourself and watch hours and hours and hours of film and have all the information ready for them, but it's hard to meet with them and, and really teach them and get them on the same page. Um, so you're having to push everything within the two, two days of practice and maybe one film session. So structure and essentially just, uh, just the time to be with the team is probably the biggest headache that most coaches probably would agree on. Right. Yeah. Coach, and how much you have to cap down probably of your own philosophy of football? Probably when you come over, you say, I'm a 4-3, 3-4 defense guy. Then you see, oh, this is the personal I have. And it comes down, like you say, professional. Guys show up on practice, don't show up on practice. Um, yeah. How does everything get involved to play this defense or call this place what you have right now yeah for me from a defensive standpoint um I, i'm a small school guy um i do have an offensive background as having been a quarterback my whole life still i've moved to missouri and just where i live black black kids weren't going to play quarterback in that area so uh, it was what it was but i always played defense too so i just love football it didn't really matter um so i've always been on both sides of the ball And then in college, you know, I, I went to Missouri Valley College, and that's one of the more elite NAI programs um, historically. Um, so I had a great defensive coordinator, Monty Rowe. Uh, we were a pretty tough 3-4 team. Uh, always finished high in the rankings defensively and had a lot of success there. Uh, so I was able to kind of be a fly on the wall and just soak everything in that they were teaching. And then I was able to join the staff as a student assistant upon about being able to graduate for a year and a half. So... I, I was well-versed in the 3-4, and then when I came here, it was, hey, we want to be a 4-2-5 team. I'm like, uh, okay. So, you know, I, I did my research, you know, a lot of uh, what Auburn does, TCU, a lot of different things like that. Um, so I think if you're a student in the game, you're going to be well-prepared when you come to Europe to be able to adjust. And I, that's what I learned at Minot was uh, they, they weren't very good at adjusting to what other teams did. Um, based on the personnel they had. So we were doing a lot of things, beating our head against the wall, getting mad at the player when it's not their fault. We're not putting them in this position that's the coach's fault. Um, so in regards to your question, I think I've just been fortunate to be in enough things that I have enough knowledge. And I understand that adjustment is, is a really big key to being successful. And especially being a small school guy is the talent that I have is kind of similar to the talent at the NAIA level or the D, smaller D, or D3. So you can kind of like plug and play some guys if you know what you're doing. And you can go from a four down to a three down based on what the other team is doing and based on who you have. So for me personally, it's not been too hard. I, I enjoy that challenge. Um, I mean, I think we've watched this the last two years. We want to be a four-two-five team, but we get into a three front every season just out of necessity. Nothing that, you know, we control. It's just depth and where it will still be successful. So I think it's just having your own knowledge base and never thinking that your way is the best way to do it. There's other ways to get it done. Absolutely. And how, how involved now um, players, professional, I mean, football and hero change also a little bit in the last years. Um, players, I mean, they're using so much time you put in on and off the field. 
how is it in Munich? How is how how are your guys doing this? You have a lot of guys that study, you have guys that work. I mean, Munich is one of the most expensive cities in uh, in Europe. Um, I'm of course can imagine just the guys who study that have probably some side jobs and practice and away games. Um, how you feel your guys handle that or kids leave, coming to Munich for study there and come and join the Cowboys organization? Yeah, so being in Munich is kind of like the, it's a double-edged sword. Um, we're overshadowed by all the soccer and FC Bayern and basketball and Red Bull hockey. So we're overshadowed by a lot of championship first division teams that are so taking all the big money. Uh, so for us, that's an issue. Uh, it being a soccer city in general, we struggle with time, field times and things of that nature because we're battling you know, shit league soccer uh, for field time. You know, it shouldn't be a thing, but it is a thing for us. Um, and then the beauty of it, though, is recruiting is much easier here because a lot of kids are moving here for school, for work. So we are getting some very talented kids every year at our tryouts that are just purely moving here for school and work. They hear the, the, the culture that we have. They hear what we've built over the last four years, uh, and they want to be a part of it. And I, I have a very honest communication with the team, coaches too. All I ask is commitment. If they can commit to, you know, two practices a week, uh, commit to being prepared when they come to practice, uh, commit to you know, studying through huddle and the avenues that we have, and just communication, just talk. If you talk to me about what's going on in your, in your life, we can develop a plan you can still be a part of what we're doing. If you disappear and show up three weeks later, I'm going to tell you uh, GFY and, you know, try again next year. You know, I have no problem cutting guys off the team down at every year. So I think it's just communication and um, the structure that we have set up. Guys have bought in. Players are accountable for each other. They police each other. Uh, so our communication is great within the team. I think it's the best it's been. Um, over the last four years, it's gotten better each year. The team is the biggest it's ever been. I don't think we've had this many, many legitimately committed players in our club that we could make two teams with. Uh, so we're, we're pretty excited with where things are. Perfect. You want to go on? No, I mean, I, I, mean, I know you because I coached for you actually back in 2018. Um, and I, one of the biggest things that still stands to me, and people know this when, when they ask me about you, but it's just like your directness you know, with players and coaches, like you're clear cut, you say what your expectations are, it's essentially the same way that I am. And I like that just because like, you're kind of saying like, you, you try to keep communication with the program, with the coach, you say, this is what I expect. You're not asking for, for people to fucking, you know, go out on a whim or do anything crazy, but you're saying like, I expect at least if you show up twice a week, you know, you're fine. This and that. What I want to get to is when you kind of, end up having a player, let's say, like you're talking about, like, okay, not communicating, whatever. And this, let's say this is, this is a guy that's been with the program for a while, right? He's like that top dog. They got that ego. Have you ever had pressure from the board or management saying, you know what, you can't let go of a guy like that? Because for me, for example, like just last year I was in Marseille, I didn't care. We're in Poland. I'm like, if you can't show up, if you can't commit, I'm not putting you on the field. I don't care because at the end of the day, it's not fair to the rest of these guys on the roster, what we're trying to do. Because at the end of the day, it's trying to make a culture. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, I've been lucky. I've not had that issue, uh, to be honest with you. I think the, the the most knuckleheads we had were that first year when I came. A lot of the guys who've been Cowboys for a long time, guys who I knew from my previous stop with the Cowboys, and they were all on their last leg of their careers anyways. So it was kind of like they're going to fizzle themselves out. They're going to retire. So I didn't have to be too much of an asshole that year, especially 
understanding. When you take over a program, there's two ways to go about it. You burn everything to the ground and be a dictator and say, this is how it is. If we got 20 guys, we got 20 guys. Or you say, I identify what the roster looks like. I'm going to take the slower process and focus on these things each year. And we'll slowly weed guys out because we're going to build accountability. And guys are going to see these are the people they don't want on their team. So they're going to, you know, isolate those guys. And then I have the discussion with them when the time comes that this is what's been identified about your behavior. You can fit, you got a week to fix it, or we can have a discussion and get it fixed. Or if you can't, let's just be men and, and part ways. And it's not personal. Um, it becomes personal if you lie to me and say you're going to change and you don't change. Then I'm, I have to be an asshole about it. You have to go. Um, but I've been lucky. I haven't had that issue, to be 100% honest. You know, most of the knuckleheads have either retired on their own or they've done something stupid enough that it was just kind of an easy thing to get them out. But um, that's the biggest issue, I think, whether you're in Europe or in the States, is your own accountability as a coach when you say this is the law and you've got a really talented player who's breaking the law. Are you going to let them stay and continue to do what they're not supposed to, that that behavior trickles down to everybody else because they see it. You know, it's the it's the mommy and little brother, big brother thing. Like, why can't they do that and I can't? Like, it's going to create a bad atmosphere. It's going to go against your word, and then your word is nothing. Um, player, you're not going to have respect. So I've been lucky. I haven't had to deal with it, but I've dealt with that. for sure. But then I'm just an assistant coach. So the head coach makes the decision. No, that's true. I mean... And then it also brings up the other aspect of it where, I mean, everybody knows this, most coaches where out here in Europe, American football, they, they, try to, they try to run it like they do soccer where they expect you to win now. So if it's like – and that's the hard part going in where you're like, you know, if you know if you run a team a certain way, you could be successful, but then it kind of gives you the, the, the difficult aspect of going about it. They're kind of saying, like, oh, we want you to win now, you know, and that's kind of one of those things where it's like – you know, it just depends where you're at. Like you kind of said, sometimes you're lucky, sometimes you're not, you know, and it depends if you have to be extreme with it or if they're allowing you and giving you the time because, I mean, we all know this. The biggest thing here in Europe that, that teams do, and in my opinion and many people, is go off with these one-year contracts, you know, and it's like you have no way of establishing a culture and too many of these boards and presidents and ADs, whoever's responsible for bringing these coaches in, right, and imports, they don't understand – this is a process. At the end of the day, you have to run a European team out here like you do a high school or college team. This isn't like – this isn't Bayern Munich where we got, you know, you got five-star caliber guys down the roster and you could just come in and win now. It's not possible. But they don't realize that, that hey, you need to give coaches time to establish a culture. Now, yeah, like there's going to be coaches when you come in and say, you know what, like this guy's insane. It's not going to work. He can't adapt to the, to the European – coaching lifestyle and just the difference of it because it's not the States, but like, that's, that's kind of like that, that two way, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, you hit the uh, nail on the head with that, you know, we, what was that two years ago when it was like the, 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 the dark year for head coaches in the DFL. You know, <laughs> there were some really good guys that were ousted you know, early in the season, you know, whether who knows the internal drama, but if you knew those guys, you knew their resumes and what they've done in previous places, didn't really make sense you know, why they were gone. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, that's why I tell people you have to do your research before you take a job, 100%. You got to know which teams out here are player ran, or if they don't like what you're doing, you're going to be gone. 
you might have the right idea to build them up and get them to where they should be because they are they are talented. There's some talented teams that let go of good coaches. They had good talented teams, um, but they weren't winning until the coach left or the coach was ousted. Um, so you just got to do your research and know what you're getting yourself into. Um, and don't just take jobs to take jobs. No, it's true. I mean, we talked about this too. I mean, because essentially, I mean, you're you're the guy that kind of pushed me towards taking a header job two years ago, kind of going through that aspect of it. And I mean, this is how it's going to be. Like, you can ask all the questions you can as a coach, and kind of like kind of things we talked about, but we don't have to get into it now. But it's kind of like it's a learning experience, like you kind of told me. And I've been in those situations where it's kind of like you you start learning and seeing, okay this is the type of team I want to run. This is the type of culture I want to have, not only amongst the roster, but also the board and coaches helping you. And it goes about you essentially, for the most part, being in a situation. And kind of like you said, like, if you ask all the right questions, you talk to former coaches, former players, imports. Imports, for the most part, and we're talking about just players specifically, they talk to each other. Like, you know what is going on, this, this, and that. Or coaches where you say, you know what, you were there, and then what happened? You know, because for the most part, everybody just jumps at the gun. Oh, it's an offer. I'm taking it. It's like, well, let's calm down. Let's let's ask questions and stuff like that. Because you even see it on the other side. You know, a lot of these teams, they don't even ask the questions. Or they don't, you know, some coaches don't even do that, too. And I get so proud of like, do your homework. Talk to their former coordinators, coach from the States. Just because they were an All-American doesn't mean anything. You need to know how he is. Is he going to fit playing out here in Europe? Because, I mean, we all know this. The jump from the States to here is completely different. You could be a dog in the States. That doesn't mean you'll be a dog here because it also comes in the aspect of, you know, the, the off the field stuff. Can you handle two practices a week preparing for those two practices? Are you going to get blackout drunk the other days? Yeah. You know, can you handle, can you balance not having a thousand women passing through your, your, your flat and they don't be focused? <laughs> not have a bunch of illegitimate children out here. You know? <laughs> I mean, we can laugh about it, but, I mean, at the same time, you look at it, and it's like, well, then teams start looking at that at some point. They're like, okay, well, there's something off off the field. We don't want to have that stigma because then you're going to be known for that program dealing with those those topics, you know. Um, and that's hard now to develop what a program because, for the most part, what these coaches are trying to do and what we're trying to do, I mean, you're trying to do that. You've been, you've been essentially doing that in Munich. Um, and what we're trying to do now here in Robinsburg, you know, coming in and seeing the, the potential that this program has is, you know, it's like you want to make a program. Like, yes, they call them clubs, this and that. But I think the biggest thing when you talk about programs and that brings in what, you know, like the New Yorkers, the Halls, the, the even like the Roll Call Panthers right now with, uh, with Val Gunn. Yeah, no, Swarco. I mean, yeah, Swarco. But on the list, Helsinki, I mean, these, these teams that are legit, that are known. They, that have had, a, you know, a, at least at least a head coach, or if it's not him, it's now someone that's been on the staff under him for a long time. So it's the trickle down effect. It's not the revolving door. That's, that's what a lot of clubs aren't investing in. Yeah, but for me, it's always also a thing when when you take a job. Always you have this. Okay, we want to start a program, but for me, it's also when you want to start a program, you really need to be honest and clear everyone with each other where you're standing right now for me i always feel as soon as a team is in the gfl every gfl team starts we want to win the german ball it's the 16 <laughs> teams and it's always like i love to win the german ball but you need to have the money for, for doing it i mean yeah. if you're a branch by the hall 
I mean, if I if I get the money, if my president comes to me and says, you have this money, buy players, boom, I'm doing it. But I'm not against it, so don't worry. I mean, law crown strike, law fall, don't worry. But you have to be clear, okay, this is what we have. And I feel like you say coaches getting fired. I always feel like in, 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 in the European football, it's a huge difference to European soccer because on soccer – in the Bundesliga, you have teams, their goal is not go down to the second league. Their goal is we want to finish between 10 and 12, finish between 6 and 7. And in Germany, it's always, no, home game playoffs. Okay, but that costs money. And then it's like, no, but we have one coach. I say, one coach. Okay. Well, I mean, we're talking about American football. Yeah. So that's why for me, it was super important before I take a job here. I was like, I need, I need another full-time coach. I mean, if we want to stay in the GFL, we want a competitive with a long-term program like Cowboys, like Stuttgart, like Allgäu Comets, Ingolstadt Dukes. And this is just what we need to invest. And I'm not talking about we want to go out and beat right, right away Hull or Frankfurt. It's far away. We want, to, we want to go out and build a culture, but... I don't know how you're seeing this. I, sometimes I feel when you talk with someone, you're missing a point here. Like, hey, we are new in the league, so give me, yeah. give me a break. But we, I, I don't say we want to lose every game, but you have to be realistic what you are and yeah. the way it's going on. Yeah, people forget, like, competitiveness. Like, there's, there's losing teams, there's teams that win, and there's teams that are competitive, that put themselves in between the ability to win or lose based on how good they can consistently play a football game. You can just, I, I mean, it's not to toot our own horn because if you look at our record the last three years, it's a losing record. We've got one playoff appearance, which we lost, um, and we've been at the bottom of the table the other two years. But we're a competitive team. Yeah, everyone knows that. Is it only the record? Or is it like seeing you are one full-time coach for a big city club? Uh, some of that, I mean, I, we, our OC is, is paid, but, um, it's, you know, it's not full time. Uh, so at the end of the day, I do the, the bulk of the full time work and, you know, my assistants, you know, I, I ask them to be prepared, practice, you know, practice plan, but I do a bulk of, of the full time work and our OC does, the, you know, his, his thing. I allow him to do his thing. And this is the first OC we've had more than one year as well. So that comes into play. You know, our offense has been a revolving door. Um, so, you know, for me, it's, it, it was just, I, I've been here, so I know what we can do. I know the talent that's in the city, and we got so many clubs around us. Um, so the talent's around here, it was, can we be competitive enough and have the right culture to be attractive? Because we don't have money to buy players. We don't have money to offer hardly anything. I mean, that's why I always said, if, if we got money in Munich, I would take care of my players first, who've been committed to me the last four years they would get taken care of somehow some way i would take care of my coaches who've been loyal to me the last three or four years they would be taken care of somehow in some way then we talk about if we bring in any extra players uh, i, I want to establish the people i got and take them take care of them i want to establish the coaches that i have take care of them and then we talk about if we have to have resources to bring people in from outside of our area uh, that's at least how i've looked at it um, but without a doubt, people just forget you have to build a competitive team before you can win games. 
if the team's not even worth competitive, what are we talking about winning football games for? Like, if we know we're shit, let's not talk about winning games. If we're shit, then we got to be competitive first. Now, if we're competitive, now we know we can win games. Then we can talk about winning games. Absolutely. What comes down to, what was your, now we, we're hitting the corona. Yeah. What was your, your goal before corona? How changed this right now? And, and, and how you can be in touch? We, nobody knows for two more weeks, five weeks. Yeah. Uh, so pre-corona, I mean, we've been going at it since November. I think we only took six weeks off uh, from our last game of the season. So we've been going at it since November. We had our tryout, we started practices at the end of November, really more strength conditioning than anything uh, through the winter month. Uh, winter months, uh, December and uh, January. Then we got into football in January. Um, and we completely restructured our men's program at, before it was operating as two separate entities. It's a big issue that we had when it came to the depth of the DFL team and the development of our second team guys. Uh, there were some guys who were capable and they'd been uh, filling into the DFL, um, but we just really weren't connected. So it wasn't happening the correct way. But now we got that change thanks to um, Nadine Narasid, our DB coach, and also our sports director. We worked closely um, in the fall. We got that change and we created kind of a monster right now um, within our men's program. And we'll, we will be able to split it up in two. So who knows if they'll be able to play their third league season or not. We're hoping that they can. Um, and then, you know, right now, pre-corona, we were rolling. I mean, I'm pretty we almost had the whole defense installed. Up until four weeks ago, uh, offense was the same. Everything was getting installed. Our imports were here uh, the first uh, first week of uh, March. So I mean, we were we were rolling. Um, and then upon the break period and restriction period, uh, all we've done is we've stayed in contact with the guys. Uh, the guys are posting their workouts. You know, we give them a lot of information. We're doing online meetings. Uh, we're doing online installs. You know, we're doing it with our club as well for other coaches. We're putting on clinics for our youth coaches, ladies coaches. We're, we're keeping it internal. So we're keeping working and keeping busy every week with skills to find information. To at least make sure we're mentally sharp um, within schematics. Um, and then you know, we're, we're constantly trying to talk to them and get them to post-workouts. So we're seeing what they're doing. Uh, that's really kind of how we're managing it at this point, just trying to be honest with the information we get from the federations and just trying to keep the energy and the hope alive. You know, that, how, how's the how's the player's demeanor right now that you notice? I mean, because how often are you having meetings with them? Mm, well, it's more, yeah, I mean, we try to do something every week um, at least or at least get something posted. And then, you know, it's just constantly trying to talk to them in WhatsApp groups. And uh, I mean, guys are hungry. And they, they don't want to be out of football. Um, as of now, you know, we haven't gotten any message of, oh, you know, I can't afford to continue to play or anything like that at the moment. Um, you know, once it starts back up, I'm sure guys with jobs are going to be backloaded. So we have to have a plan uh, to work through that uh, to cater to them and still be able to prepare for a season. But from what I know, talking to all my assistant coaches, um, you know, everyone's still hungry. Everyone's still ready. So we're just riding it out. Hopefully, good news soon. How about the how about the imports? How are they taking it? I mean, I could imagine for them because I know. I mean, was I know. Cause I'm like Roby and Hall, and he's going crazy. He's out here posting wild stuff every day, trying to stay busy. But I mean, it's for the most part, like a lot of import coaches. I mean, I think as a coach, 
you have more to do because at least you can plan for meetings. I know like here um, we have three meetings per week on each side of the ball. So that helps us. We're also trying to do a team one where you can try to like at least have everybody collectively together talking to each other. Um, I know some teams are not doing anything. Yeah. You know, they're just kind of sitting there. I think the kind of that, that's probably the worst thing to do, especially with your imports. If your imports are in town and they're kind of just sitting there in the house, not doing much, that's rough, you know. You know, the first time in Europe probably. Yeah, too. Yeah, yeah uh, I mean, I think our guys are good. I, I check in with them every other day. We live like 10 minutes apart, so um, I can stroll over there if I want, if I need to, but I shouldn't right now. So uh, we just text each other or I voice message them every few days and just check in, see how they're doing, keep them hungry. Uh, and, and they're hungry and they're ready. You know, they're staying in shape, sending me videos and stuff. So we're just riding it out. Our guys are ready. I mean, like I said, we've been ahead of the curve. Our guys are here and we've been installing and we've literally been competing with each other, like having hard practices uh, up until the break. So, What's your ballet feeling? We're playing? We're not playing? I'm, a, I'm an optimistic person. Um, so, I mean... Just from looking out into the, the street every day and walking around with the baby a couple times a week. You know, I don't see why we shouldn't be able to go out and play. I understand the whole point behind everything. That's why I, you know, we do our, our due diligence to stay inside and only go out when we need to. Um, but uh, I'm not a scientist. And so just kind of from looking at the numbers, you kind of think things aren't out of hand here. Uh, things are kind of starting to balance out. So you just kind of hope they continue to balance faster. I'm optimistic. I hope we can play. Um, again, uh, the people that make decisions that affect our jobs don't really talk to us in the league at the moment. So uh, a lot of people are making decisions about how we're going to do our jobs and are talking to us. So um, perfect world is they just postpone things. And if they were smart, play in the fall, make it easy instead of trying to rush a spring summer season and everyone's having trouble getting deals and all that shit. So um, if they're smart, they just postpone it. But um, I don't know. So I know the league wants to play, so I'm just going to keep going off the back that the league wants to play, and we'll just see what the government decides. Yeah, it's all about the government. We can have the best plan we want when they say ever since the lockdown. I mean, we are like in the position of team sports with like 50 guys. You know, we are really the biggest group of who can be out there. So for us, it's really really tough point and we are the GFL on in every football league in Europe. We need our fans in the stadium. We we it's just not an option for us. Yeah. We need spectators and yeah, so I hope we are here too. We hope we can get something done. If not after the break, arrange something. But I trust in our federation that they're making small decisions to this to the right uh, to the right time. Yeah. Yeah. What I hope too. I mean, I'm not going to come out and start attacking people, but, you know, the season has to happen somehow. I mean, we already know this, and we've all agreed upon, especially with the talks going on. It's like, to be honest, it doesn't matter if it's a 14-game season or a 10-game season. You split it however way you want to. We understand the whole German Bowl situation, that it needs to happen on that date. I mean, it's a thing. You, you, you could say all you want and say, you know what, you guys are allowed to play on this given weekend, but, like, kind of like we know, like, for us here in Bavu, like, our, our lockdown or – was our, our, um, our sport football. We're not allowed to – we're forbidden for sports is until, what, middle of June? 15, yeah. Something like that. And in Bavaria, it's like, what, Easter-ish? That's the next decision. Yeah. Right? And then right now, was there's an article that got released yesterday that you also posted 
um, that in Bahu now the soccer teams are starting to allow to be practicing this week. So it's kind of like, you know, it, it doesn't matter really what the Federation says. Like that's also the other, the next thing it's like, okay, yeah, great. You know, if they say we can start playing, but now there's every individual government giving different dates. So now it's like not, not a level playing field for everybody. Even when you need to practice, because that's now the next issue. Like, to be honest, there's no way these guys are ready to go now. You're going to need at least, what, six weeks? You, you can't expect guys ready to go in four weeks. I don't know. So, oh, man. I just look at it from the, from the attrition aspect of it. Sure. Right? Okay, let's say we do this 14 back-to-back deal. <laughs> hammer it out. I mean, it's going to be gladiator wars, basically, you know, but, yeah. but, last, but you know, how, how are your guys going to stay healthy, too? That's the other aspect of it. And then they have their work and all that stuff. You know, it's going to be very interesting how it plays out. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, I was already thinking if, if they try to backload us and we got to work all these games in a row, I mean, it'll be like a D3 practice for us. I mean, we're, we're helmets only. I mean, it's just moving, alignment, assignment. Like, and the physicality is gone. It's just gone, which is okay because that's kind of, you know, how I operate with practice anyways. You know, we're smart without practice. But yeah, you know, that, that's what I've already thought. If, if it's going to be like that, I mean, it's just a lot of alignment assignment. And we're just moving uh, to get our jobs done instead of just trying to stay uh, conditioned more than anything. Um, how much do you think this all affect the 2021 season next year? Uh, that's a good question. I think what it affects is if you got a lot of lower leagues around you, if you can find out are those teams going to sustain this, but if they don't and they fold, then you got to go and try to pick players now. Uh, you already start talking to them and be like, look, if your club goes to shit, like, you have a home here. Right. Um, so recruiting would start sooner, obviously. If you're a big club, like like we are, or like DFL one, DFL 1 club, uh, you would start recruiting right away these lower clubs who might not sustain this type of uh, type of issue. Absolutely. And what do you think about prices for imports? I mean, obviously, teams were losing sponsors, companies in trouble. I'm pretty sure that some big teams can offer any more the same they can offer right now. And the price will drop, but probably, probably brings up new import generation guys like yeah. now import say hey i don't pay for that money but you find other young guys that are all the past so you can get uh sure i think i don't know maybe some of the clubs who can do more than the rest of us maybe that evens up the playing field um for some of us teams who can't afford eight to twelve guys like they can only bring in four maybe six max six and those other two are eu guys that are close to where your country's at and those guys are pretty much coming from nothing. You know, not a full. Some teams are bringing in guys for a full roster on both sides of the ball, and so it might even the playing field there. Maybe, maybe you get some of these high-profile guys don't want to play because they can't get paid the same money uh, that they would make at that at that club. I don't know. That's kind of a recruiting thing on your own. I mean, it's what type of guy do you want to have? Yeah, it's a bright. Right field, we have to cover up in the next next months, years yeah. probably out of out of this. Always in the vision, something gets started again. You know, yeah. I I hope so. We the government will say first of May, first weekend May, 
we start to go back to normal, whatever that means. Like, yeah, like to see how that how that all goes on. Yeah, and for us. Yeah, and then kind of look at you, kind of talking about the deal, where it's like, especially the teams that, I mean, you're you're gonna have financial burdens leading into next year, like already off the bat, like. And that's the aspect of it we kind of talk about where it's like, all right, well, the import situation, a lot of imports don't understand that. They, they look at it being, oh, it's unfair to us. And I get it. It's because it's a job. And it's, I mean, there's been coaches you have to take pay cuts or they put on the whole quotes I bite um, where you're getting your partial pay right now. And it just, it is what it is. Um, to be honest, those guys are actually lucky. And even for us, for example, because we have that here, we're lucky to at least have a job and get paid. You know, like, yeah, it's kind of boring. At the end of the day, you can't do what you want to do and prepare your guys right now. Because normally right now, we were just talking about it, talking about somebody today. It's like, technically right now, we're not sleeping normally. You know, mm. we're prepping to start a season. I mean, we would have had camp this weekend to our second yeah. day. Um, preseason games, all that stuff. But all the, like, a lot of imports you kind of see on social media, they're writing and they don't understand, like, this isn't about the A's. This is about German football surviving somehow. Because, I mean, kind of talk or an option has been is like, Maybe we go in a season with some sort of reduced import rule or no imports. I mean, I'm all about in terms of just making it fair for everybody because it's not fair to say, you know what, um, you know, say, you know what, like there's, let's say, a quarter of the league can't afford keeping their imports. Well, you don't have to go zero, but you can limit it down to kind of make it more even playing field. But at the end of the day, like, how do you do that? Because you get, like, some guys sent – some teams sent guys home and maybe they can bring them back. Some can't bring them back. Uh, some, they're already here. So do you, do you screw the teams who were prepared and had their guys here and say, hey, no imports or only two, you know what I mean? Like, so, like, what do you think? Really what's fair at the end of the day? What's going to be fair? What do you think? <laughs> it is what it is. It is what it is. It is what it is. I mean, for me, it's clear. If, if I get it on paper signed <laughs> by the president of the RFOD, there is no relegation. I will save money and send imports home. Yeah. yeah, I remember you saying that, which, which makes sense, you know, for you, sure. But I think we're just in different levels with where we're at with our program. Like, yo, absolutely, true. absolutely. I will say, I, but I will say, we save money. Uh, we are safe in the league for the next year. Get everyone playing time out there. Obviously, there are guys that will not see the field. That probably will not make the roster if we have the high competition next week. The Cowboys. We will win it. We need to win it. We must win it, whatever we want in the, in the schedule in the, in the league. Um, yeah, I mean, this it's for, for some young guys, a great chance to, to play football. Yeah. Um, and we all know don't know how, how it will look to see. Well, yeah, the issue with the import thing is what are, what are you defining? Are we defining A imports or are we defining dual passport? Yes, we defining EU because we all know there's teams that are loaded with EU and dual passport guys. And there's teams that just have A guys and they're local players. So if you say no guys with A's, people are going to load up on all these guys whose can't, seasons got canceled around the country. Yeah. What are we doing at the end of the day? Yeah, what I talked about American imports. Yeah. I mean, for because, me, Americans, I got some countries do it where yeah. it doesn't matter if you're a dual. If you have some sort of A, you are an A. Like in Poland, like example, it doesn't matter if you're dual passport in, in Poland, they still count you as American. So that's what you'd have to be because this is the thing. I mean, like you just said, we know there's teams out here in the GFL and you have a ton of A slash whatever, 
And to be honest, that's an A then. Like, yeah. sorry, that's an A. Yeah. And for us, I mean, we are so close to Switzerland and Austria. We have guys on paper, they are from Switzerland, yep. but they are closer to us, to any other Switzerland football team. I check. Uh, how you want to, okay, you're from Switzerland. You can, I mean, we, I mean, I, I can walk from here to the Switzerland border. So it is, it is what it is. So, and this is why I think by European law, that don't counting as an import. I have an ITC that take it, boom. If not, they're, they're like everyone else. Yeah, because I mean, either way, like if you send A's home and like, what that really is going to affect is your quarterback position. So how many teams have a, how many teams have a viable quarterback? Yeah, that's what's going to affect your quarterback play. Right, it's going to be yeah. all quarterback play. I heard someone has no good showman quarterback here. <laughs> no, no <I'm> kidding. <laughs> Sorry, just you guys kidding. talking about yourself or what? No, I didn't say it. Uh, no, I didn't just say kidding. It. Just I didn't kidding. say it. No, of course, that's what I mean. You can get a young guy a great experience, probably. You know? But can you, is it going to be a great experience? Can you protect him? Can he check things to get himself out of trouble? That's the question. And then how many of them do you have? How many do you got? Seven young kids to get pissed on? You know, playing against Frankfurt? Yeah, absolutely. Teams that are, that are going to say we're bigger and badder and just run you over? Yeah. Can, yeah you, sure. they, can you sustain that? Is that good for that kid? Yeah, that's why we say we need the we need the rules for everyone in this case. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that probably Marco Amfried will show up again. That's what I say. <laughs> but why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he? He would be a hot commodity. If you're a GFL team, you'd find a way to get him out of hall if he if he were to go back or you're like we can't let him go back there. Like, you know, like, and that's the whole thing right now. Like, if if teams are smart, um, hopefully teams have already started the last two weeks recruiting some sort of German quarterbacks or EU quarterbacks already and have them already ready to go. Because depending on the situation that happens, and even if you still have your A right, but at least to have that a, a backup guy already set up, because there's there's a good amount of guys sitting out there decent who could at least you know get the job done in some sort of way or fashion. Because on the other side. Americans allowed to leave the United States. That's it. Yeah, the travel ban. We don't know when it's going to get lifted. Yeah. yeah. So some teams are in a predicament. If you do have your imports in the states and you could, you have the money to bring them, but they're still locked down. You're still screwed. Yeah. If first of May, like everything starts again in Germany on Euro, the USA is just on the beginning. It's no. I mean, I, I don't see until August ish to get any person out of the United States. Mm. So that is, yeah. that, that's also a thing. What, what, what comes down to making this calls, maybe it don't need to be a rule because it will be by law like that. Yeah, there's just so many factors that affect everything. Yeah, yeah. So many red wild cards everywhere. How about you? You had personally the feeling, shit, I need to go back to the States or you were always like, I stay here. In this situation, Corona time right now. No, bro. Like I don't know, man. I, uh, maybe I was a little. I don't know what 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 you would say. I mean, I I believed what was going on. I just think I'm a person that lives in reality. So 
I don't know. I think I've, I only know of two people personally that I personally know that contracted it. Um, and they both are healthy now. So like for me, like it was respecting what was going on. Um, but also, you know, at the time, you know, at least for us here, like I wasn't seeing anything chaotic. So it's just respecting what's going on, doing your due diligence to not spread anything or bring anything home. Um, so I never was like in a panic. I wasn't one of those people who panicked. I was just like, well, this is, this is what it is. You know, let's just do what we can to, to manage it. Okay. I mean, that's true. I mean, because even like people ask me, and it's like, well, my adult life has been out here in Europe, so I'm not going back. Um, especially when you see like the amount of population in the states and the numbers compared, because everyone forgets to kind of look at that. It's like, um, yeah, like the country's smaller. So at some point, the U.S. is going to pass, and then you already seen it. Like it's already way above, for example, Germany, or even like it's in Italy. That's what people don't understand. Like everyone keeps looking at numbers, but you don't understand the specific situation, how people live, the lifestyle, what is going on. Like yeah. I mean, we talk about few times when you look at Italy, it's like, well. I don't, I don't know the percentage, but I'm going to say 75% of the fucking country, they smoke, you know, yeah. and everybody lives in one household, yeah. two, three generations. So it's like, of course, it's going to, it's going to spread quicker. I mean, for the most part, I'm in Germany, what I'm seeing is what, maybe two generations live, Yeah. maybe, you know, and then it's, it's, it's a different effect everywhere where you are in the culture and how people are living. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, without a doubt. You know, and then when they, we talk about the death toll, they're not telling you why these people are dying. They're just saying that they died. You don't know if they had a previous complication. They were already damn near on the, on the ropes. You know, they just contracted something that made it worse. They're a pre-existing. It's like you don't know why they died. At the end of the day, like they contracted it, sure. But do we know if they had something going on that was this was going to make it be the final stage? You don't know that. So it's just like not trying to be a social media warrior and make your own post and spread your own little ideology from things that you really don't know about. You know, you do your own research and you just create your own thought process, but you, know, you can have an adult conversation about it, but you don't have to spread fear. You don't have to be a fear monger. That's, that's really where I got frustrated with most of it, was people were just doing things out of fear and spreading false information, not doing their own due diligence to make sure it's a liable source that they got from. Which is just the generation, the time we live in, of, of the internet and social media. I mean, that's what we saw, what, like two weeks ago? Because I, I got stuck moving here from France, basically. So, like, basically all my stuff is still in Marseille. Um, but, like, uh, so got to go back and get crap. But what was it? Like, everybody in the grocery store is buying everything. We're going in there. I mean, luckily, he had already bought, like, a thousand rolls of toilet paper. <laughs> uh, we already had a pack, so it's fine. Like, that pack's still not over, right? And everybody's freaking out. It's like, that's fear because when you go right now to the grocery store, like, at the most grocery store that you go to now, like, yeah, they have the rules implemented, but there's stuff there. So, everybody yeah. hoarding all this stuff two weeks ago, and you'd show up, like, in the early afternoon, and everything's gone. It's like, what was the point? Because... You got to think, right? Your government is not going to screw you over. We're living in freaking 2020. You know, this isn't like 1800s or in the early 1900s where it's like there's not going to be food anywhere. Like people are freaking out. So now you're sitting at home with piles of crap, basically. You're going to waste. waste. People are going to waste more things than they eat. You're in a first world country. Like, you know what I mean? You're not in, like, I don't know, man. It's just just ignorance. A lot of ignorance in the world. 
like I even heard like wasn't Serbia like their president I was talking about it last night it's like um their their president's like on tv every day having these press conferences and people are freaking out like people just stop watching it because they're like it's just more fear you know it's like I'm not going to listen to this because it's like yeah it's a it's a serious situation but it doesn't help when it's every day you're putting fear or freaking out what's the point yeah you got to take your precautions and be smart Mm-hmm. so like what was it right now how, how is it at home with the with the baby and the and um your girl and everything does it take an effect too or how is that no i mean i think um i think there was a little worry obviously just having a baby but then kind of just looking at the numbers with who it really affects um i just think uh it's been good honestly like we we take walks every you know two three days. We'll take a walk and go to the grocery store. So that's kind of when we get outside. So uh, every few days, uh, we have a balcony, so we're lucky we can really sit out and get fresh air with the baby. Um, you walk, but, uh, huh? you walk around with a mask? No, never. No. <laughs> you you don't go with a mask and gloves to the grocery store? Uh, no, I don't. I don't. No, I do not. No, was it um, – Sebastian want to talk about NFL draft now because what? It's going to happen what? This month, right? When is it? Yeah, they said it's a, it's a virtual draft. Yeah. In two weeks, yeah, the, the virtual draft. And we are all defense guys here. And we would not want to go every name, but under the first – I mean, under the production, the first five picks are three defense players. I mean, we all know Joe, Joey will go quarterback LSU to – um, the Bengals, I think so, that will happen. But Chase Young on number two is overall is Chase Young on number two. And Isaiah Simmons, linebacker from Clemson, who play incredible time at Clemson, is just, let's say, just on number four. Mm. I think Isaiah Simmons has a great chance to go second overall because I personally don't think that Chase Young is that good to be that high pick. He's a first rounder, but a late first rounder for me, I feel. Would you would you think? Uh, again, it just kind of who who is there? Like who's looking for that type of player? Like who, who needs that dominant of an edge rusher? Or do you need a linebacker that can do everything for you? Um, and just kind of schematically, you know, what are you doing? Like do you have a scheme or he's not just an edge rusher, you're gonna do different things with him or you're got a scheme where you're going to try to keep him isolated where he can just win or do you need a backer that's just going to lead and do everything you need to get done so i don't know man i think you got to look at the teams that are there um, you got to check their roster and, and check what they do does that player you know kind of fit and do they have that need yeah i mean i mean jay i mean simmons it's a, it's a it's a great linebacker we all know the, the washington redskins are number two i mean they need they need a whole team actually to draft <laughs> But not not possible. So I mean, if they not want to go with a quarterback, I would take their Chase Isaiah uh, 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 Simmons as an outside linebacker. I think it make more make sense when you look at a roster of the of the Washington Redskins um, to start there with a linebacker position to to feed them up, yeah, be competitive there again. Um, I don't know who right now is the quarterback at Washington. It'll it'll be asking. Yeah, so I think there will be there will be something. Yeah. What is your what's your production of um, Chase Young? Where do you think he will 
Who are we going? Don't tell me about the team, roster. Yeah. Where's Chase Young going? I, don't know. I mean, yeah, I guess he'll be a top three guy. Yeah? If that's where the experts are projecting him, uh, that's what they get paid to do. Yeah. So uh, they're all pretty on a fair consistency because they have insider info from, from leagues and scouts so and GM. So if, he, if they're all projecting him to go that high, he's likely to go that high. I mean, I don't know why he wouldn't. Yeah. What's your favorite NFL team and who do you think that pick in the first round? Uh, I'm a Chiefs fan, born and raised. So. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Yeah. What was that? The Niners. I'm a Niners <laughs> fan, sorry. I'm... Yeah, no, you got your hopes up and you didn't pay attention <laughs> to how the playoffs went the whole, whole playoff season. So. Just got a hard effect, sorry. Oh, yeah. So now I'm a born and raised Chiefs fan, man. Um, I mean, they got to go defense. I mean, the offense is loaded uh, with that type of scheme. Uh, there's plenty of players out there that they can find to – to, to plug guys in and, and add more depth. I mean, Sammy Watkins, re, he took less money to stay with the Chiefs. Um, so they don't have to go out and find another receiver. Um, yeah, a lot of people say Zach Brown, linebacker from Wisconsin, will go first round. It, with, uh, it, it, it'll, yeah, it'll be a backer or a corner. I mean, they need yeah. – personally, I, I'd really say I was never a fan of Daniel Sorensen, the safety. But uh, he had a hell of a season under in this new season, uh, new system. So uh, gave me some more faith in him uh, to be a player within that scheme. So for me, it's either still a safety or corner, or you know, like uh, kind of had some better. They had a lot of veteran linebackers, so they do need a, a talented young linebacker uh, in that group um, that's going to be able to overtake the workload when one of these guys get shipped out or retired. But uh, cornerback play as well um, within that system. They had some veterans that they kind of rotated through throughout the season. Um, some guys really came on strong. Um, so, yeah, it's either going to be corner, corner or linebacker for sure. I mean, yeah. We'll see what they do in free agency. They haven't done a lot. They've added some veterans, some guys that were um, in New York when, um, God damn it, I'm forgetting his name, the DC, Spagnola. Some guys that played for Spagnola in New York, they're now with the, uh, with the Chiefs. So I think they got an alignment, they got a corner. Um, so, yeah, we'll kind of just see what they do with their veteran guys. Um, and then um, they'll probably go pre probably sign more defensive players for sure. I think that, that was the turning point in the whole season was their ability to, to master the scheme. And then you saw once the defense mastered that scheme, it was, it was, it was lights out. It was pretty, pretty scary. Oh, yeah. They're underrated defense. I mean, everyone was looking at Mahomes, but they also had a, had a great defense. Mm-hmm. Unstoppable 49ers in the Super Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> That means something. Yeah, so the 49ers, I, I hope the 49ers, we go with a right receiver. We drafting in the last year's first overall, uh, first round, always defense players, and now we need right receivers. Smella, what's your team and oh God. what I will pick? And then I've always been a Cowboys fan. I really want to get into specifics because everybody knows it's. Literally every year, it's they just shit the bed. Like even last year, it's like you got a great team on paper, but you just can't put it together. I mean, I think McCarthy was a decent signing. I don't think he was the best guy to go with though. Um, just because somebody has a Super Bowl win doesn't make them a good coach. Because look at the team he inherited, you know, from Andy Reid. So it wasn't like he built that culture or anything. He basically had it handed over to him. Um, you know. It, it, to be honest, 
there's, in my opinion, that defense needs to still be, how do you call it, boosted up. You need something in the backfield and linebackers. Um, who was it they just brought in on the D-line? Um, they just brought, what was his name? Oh, you got to have the person who's always looking stuff up. Just like <laughs> Joe Rogan does. He's got the guy who's always looking up. I know, we need that, right? I forgot who it was. Really? What was his name? This is the guy you're supposed to draft. Oh, that was the guy? I don't know yeah. who that is. No, nah, but um, I think the defense still needs to kind of – because you have the pieces on offense, right? This is the thing. You have the pieces on offense. Can you put it together? And this whole – this is the whole deal with the whole, you know, Dak situation, Ezekiel. Like, there's it's distractions already. You have a new coach in position, but you still have these distractions going on. So I don't know how that's going to go. Because everybody knows this, right? Jerry's what? He's the type of guy who wants to have a relationship with his guys. And it's like, yeah, it's all great, but especially as an owner, like you can have a relationship to an extent, but once you let it get all emotional, like the whole deal, how he fired uh, Garrett and stuff like that, let him go. It's like, well, or didn't extend his contract. Basically, it's like, well, it, you either keep him or you don't. You know, you don't prolong it, and you're like, ah, eh, this and that, because what they had like two, three talks where they officially let him go, and the next you know, then McCarthy's being signed. So it's like, I mean. I hate to say it, but that the Cowboys are the past that dynasty. It's going to be a while before that happens. I don't know, man. So this is who they picked up so far. They picked up Ha Ha Clinton Dix, which is an excellent addition. Right. Uh, they picked yeah. up Drew McCoy. That's who you were thinking of. Yeah. He's a stout interior D lineman. They re-signed Amari. They re-signed Dak so far, I think. Um, Tari Poe is another run stuffer on the inside. So they're looking to beef up their ability to stop the run. Uh, they brought back Sean Lee, but he can't stay healthy. No, he's hurt all the time. The one white dude behind him, the dude with the neck brace, he's nice. I really like him. I forget his name. Ben, ben oh, Layton, yeah, Vendor. Oh. Uh, but he's coming off a neck injury. So they got two stout middle linebackers coming off neck injuries. Jalen Smith, um, he's still there. He's, I think he's an excellent player. He's developing. Uh, they, they signed two tight ends. They got the Chiefs third string tight end. They signed him. Uh, they brought back a kid. Uh, they've got another safety, Dar Darian Thompson. Uh, got a, brought back a cornerback. Brought back another cornerback. Yeah. That's really, I mean, they've made some moves, but um, really the hype, the, the big ones are really kind of, looks like they're trying to reload the defense, really, and re-sign offensive players. So. Yeah. Still not making the playoffs. Cowboys still the Cowboys. So that's, that's I mean, it's, just, it's a team that has to get out of their own way. I mean, we yeah. see that all the time. Yeah. But like like you say, I mean, the draft will be interesting. I'm missing this everywhere. This draft talks now already. The interviews, the guys start flying to New York or wherever the draft this was. Uh -huh. I don't know where this year the draft was. Chicago again? No, I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah, getting getting all this, this this stuff done. I think just another topic of the Corona thing, the the draft. I mean, I never follow the draft to be honest. I don't worry about it until people make camp. I don't yeah. give a shit who they who they bring in. If they don't make if they don't make if guys don't make it out of rookie camp or they can't make it out of fall camp, they're irrelevant. In my opinion. Yeah, but this is like the big first show after after the Super Bowl and the combine. It's just a big appetizer yeah. for what's but, going you know, on. Football's still coming. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely.
College football, Ole Miss, new head coach getting ready to ball. Georgia getting a great, great O-line coach with Matt Luke, the former mm. head coach of Ole Miss. Mm. Um, but yeah, Ole Miss is on a on a run right now. <laughs> Just joined the, the Georgia the, Cup. The Georgia Cup. Yeah, no, Ole Miss is. You should bring out the gear and the baby with the gear on it. Ole Miss, Ole Miss is good. I should. He's probably stupid. He got gear too, right? Yeah, we got some. He's got Chiefs gear already. He's got some Georgia gear. My my cousin's a Ohio State fan, so he's got a little Ohio State one. He's got more gear than we do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the beauty of having a baby. People, people dress your baby for you. No, yeah. I mean, it's all gonna be interesting. Everything else plays out. I mean, there's there's a lot of question marks going on with everything. Who knows what when the U.S. football season starts at the moment? So yeah, who knows. I think was it yesterday? The was it the NFL header or head person of the whole medical deal? Mm-hmm. Kind of said, well, first they have to do like a widespread testing to make sure nobody has it. Yeah, or anything that's going to take a while. And, but I think that's that's if you if you think about it, even here, if we're going to play, everyone should go get checked, have their paper says they've been checked for Corona, or at least at the time they've been checked. There's no issue. These people should be allowed to participate. If not, if you don't show up for practice and you don't have your 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 paperwork that shows you've been tested, yeah, it looks like you're gonna not be here. And you know, I mean, it's just like if, if we say we're gonna try to do everything we can to have a season, these are parameters you gotta think about. That's true. Because I wonder how, like, because I mean, was it Sweden postponed their deal for what August fifteenth? They're kind of saying, so yeah, they'll make their decision in season or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, I wonder how they're going to do things too, because I mean, from you looked at it's like Sweden and Finland, their numbers are good. Like they haven't they haven't had some crazy numbers, so it's like I wonder how they're going to go about it too with their seasons because they want to play. And yeah. the federation already said we're going to have this, but we're moving everything back just to make sure they have enough preparation time and this thing gets cleared out. But that's going to be interesting in terms of the whole like you have to test, you have to test. There's no way because what happens if you find out. You know, like a few days later or weeks later, you're like, oh, we played against a team and this they had a specific player that was infected. Well, then that means what, you know? Because now that it spreads to your team and then that's being spread to other people, like it's just, it's going to be wild. Yeah, but the thing is also, what's the penalty? The whole team is not about to be anymore on the season. It's just, I don't know, I mean... Because it takes 14, three weeks, 14 days, three weeks, this, yeah. it probably hits you. So this is, um, yeah, this rule is, like I say, will be, will be an interesting topic anyways. Yeah. No, it will. I mean, I guess, I guess we'll find out, because what is it, the, the IFAUDE, the German Federation said, when are they going to do this? April 19th or something? They're going to kind of give out a statement or something, what they're probably going to do. Um, and what, is, what is funny, because the Bundeskanzlerin Angela Merkel will make her announcement on the 20, 21st, so. I know. And I said this, I'm like, well, who the hell is the Federation getting their information from? Because the dates that the government gives out are completely contradictions to the dates that the Federation. Absolutely. Like, what, are, what are we doing? Because what was it, like two, two, three days ago, they had um, AFI, so Roger and John Dale had their, their talk was it with Carson? So yep. the, 
the chairman of the GFL and Coach Newman from Shrewsbury Hall, and they were talking about, and he was saying they have they've been having communication with the the government governments, or not regional governments or state governments. So I mean, I'm pretty sure they're not getting their information two days before you know the government releases anything. Like, yeah, but. That, that's the kind of thing where you look at where it's like you you would wish that everybody is working on the same page and communicating on the same page instead of like people trying to help out and find solutions and not issues to the problem but there's no real like communication amongst everybody or teams because you hear different things like you hear we've heard some stuff where it's like some teams in the north right this is something in the north don't want to have a season but then they're going out and saying, like, on national podcasts or radio saying or announcements saying, oh, no, like, the Joe's, like, everybody's on page. Well, it's like, well, what is it then? Because if you got internal coaches saying they don't want to play, but you're saying everybody's fine, that makes no sense. It's all misleading. Yeah, you know? yeah there's definitely uh, from the information we, we all got before that podcast the other day is obviously there was a different thought process in the North and in the South. So it's like, what? The truth is in there somewhere. Where is it? Right. Yeah. Long way to go. Long way to go. Absolutely. I would say that's typical of here. So. <laughs> I mean, 100%. 100%. You know. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we appreciate having you here on the first episode. Um, and our goal is to make this a weekly deal. It depends on how many talks we can get, especially – once the season starts, but we could definitely fit in at least, you know, three, four people during the week. Um, we'll definitely be, be calling you up and having you on, you know, sure. if you're sitting there watching, we'll send you a link and you could come in and just mess up someone's show. If you sure. Sure. I'll, I'll be the guy re- uh, looking up all the information <laughs> behind the scenes. We could do that here with our running back and Drake is have him something to do. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, yeah. hey, you're, you're a media guy. Yeah. No, but I appreciate having you, and um, you know we'll we'll stay in touch. All right. Yeah, sounds good. I'll take care. All right. Have take a good one. Thank you. Bye bye. Ciao.